Hello and welcome back to Security Insights, the podcast that takes a deeper look at today's most important issues in cybersecurity and beyond. I'm Stephen Pritchard, editor and presenter. How vulnerable is critical infrastructure to cyber attack? And how are geopolitical events impacting global cybersecurity? Our guest this week is security and risk consultant Mathieu Gorge. He also runs the Vigitrust Global Advisory Board Think Tank. He's been studying these issues and looking at how firms and governments need to collaborate more to build up cyber defence. I started this episode by asking Mathieu for his definition of critical infrastructure. My definition is is uh, somewhat globally encompassing, right? So critical infrastructure, people would think, generally speaking, about uh, train stations, uh, air transportation, and so on. But it actually covers access to water, access to food, access to banking, access to money, access to payment systems, access to health services, uh, making sure that at any given time there's law enforcement and there's a police service that's available, that the military are available. Um, so that's generally speaking what, what people think about uh, around critical infrastructure. Now, additional items that are some, sometimes forgotten would be um, other operators of what has become critical infrastructure but may not be listed as critical infrastructure. Uh, for instance, some businesses that have become essentially part of our daily life. Uh, some people would say if Twitter goes down, part of the infrastructure goes down for us. If Google goes down, part of the infrastructure goes goes down with it. Uh, that's, that's, that's one area. Another domain that I think needs to be taken into account is what I call personal infrastructure. Um, because I would, I would suspect that any of the listeners today um, have uh, on them right now two to three connected devices. And then when, when they go home, uh, if they have a smart home, they have 20, 30, 40 devices. And some of them are actually critical for them in order to operate their daily life. So you get up in the morning, you want to get access to electricity, to light, to uh, to heat or to air conditioning, or whatever the case it is, that's part of infrastructure. Um, so uh, to give you an example uh, of the impact that personal and uh, that critical infrastructure protection has on our daily lives uh, you look at last year's um, attacks on colonial pipeline in the us which essentially prevented people from having access to energy so that has a, a personal impact on you not just an impact on the country or on 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 businesses and then you look at the health service executive in ireland um you, you essentially all of the hospital system was was thrown back into the 1950s and 1960s and that had an actual impact on procedures on on access to to doctors and surgeries and so on and so i think that critical infrastructure is much more encompassing than than we normally see and then one final point on that is that um, people may not realize but depending on the survey that you the different surveys you look at um, it, it, roughly 80% of the critical infrastructure that we rely on for our daily lives is actually operated by private organizations and not by governments. And so that throws its own sets of, of, of challenges. 
Well, that's the key point, isn't it? Because, again, some of the incidents that you've described and some of the other incidents we've seen that have been high profile, the malicious actors have specifically targeted the private sector because they either don't have the technical measures to protect themselves or the level of vigilance that you would expect in, say, a defence department or another government operation, such as somebody running, say, the prison service or border control or any of those type of things where the involvement of government in protecting a nation state is very, very clear and obvious. Is that something that causes attention? between the commercial necessities of companies operating payment systems, payment cards, ATM machines. How long can a mature society exist without those systems in place? So is there a tension between the people who run those type of systems for their customers and governments who require the economy to be operating at a systemic level and protected from cyber attack? So I think you're touching on on a point that's really important, and, and it, that's communication between the different stakeholders that actually manage critical infrastructure. Uh, so on the one hand, you've got the private sector, um, which is driven by uh, shareholders, profits, creating jobs, paying tax, and so on. And then on the other hand, you've got government that is uh, driven by their own strategy, but also uh, to some extent by, uh, by uh, public opinion and ratings that they get from from citizens that put them in power um, and so um, what, what what we are seeing is sometimes a disconnect between what private enterprises are trying to do from a security and compliance perspective and what government is expecting so you're right there are some government departments that uh, by the nature of what we are doing, have to be a lot more vigilant than uh, other organizations. Um, but by and large, uh, at the end of the day, it, they have the same security challenges. They are facing the same threats, maybe not the same likelihood of that threat being exploited, uh, maybe not the same impact, but the threats are, are global threats, right? So ransomware, uh, phishing, uh, CEO attack, denial of service, that kind of stuff. That that goes whether you, you're government or whether you're, you're a private organization. I, I think what we are seeing is a trend right now, especially given the current geopolitical climates, um, that government needs to collaborate more with the private sex- sector. And, and a, a very good example of that is the, um, the Department of Homeland Security in the US announcing the establishment of the Cyber Safety Review Board, uh, which really is a public-private partnership to make sure that uh, the, the nation's critical infrastructure is protected the right way. Um, and I think that we, we see similar initiatives um, in, in other countries and we really need to, to work together because the, 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 it, as silly as it sounds, like the, we need to get it right all the time. So therefore we need to collaborate. The bad guys only need to get it right once. Um, and 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 so we we can't do that if we don't collaborate because everything is interconnected. Um, now uh, there are other uh, factors to take into account um, in order to reduce the risk surface of our critical infrastructure. So, for instance, do you really need to have? Uh, water systems connected to the internet? Can they not be in a completely private network? Uh, Do you really need to have a power plant connected to the internet? That should be in a completely private network as well. Um, Unfortunately, 
if you look at the history of critical infrastructure, uh, you might be familiar with a document called uh, 21 Steps Towards uh, SCADA Protection, which is a, a document that dates back to the Clinton administration in, in, in the US. And those 21 steps apply today, right? So they were, they were published uh, more than 20 years ago, and yet you find that they're not actually being necessarily followed. So in order for us to do that, I think that the private sector is accountable to government and should be accountable to government to make sure that they comply and that they do their best. But equally, government should step up and should follow the same rules. And the only way to make sure that we do that is by making sure that there's communication between the, um, the private sector and, and government. And I'll go one step further. I think that we we definitely need to make sure that the the, the key decision makers um, in the commercial side of, of critical infrastructure, so the operators of critical infrastructure that are, that are private companies, uh, their board needs to be held accountable for cyber accountability. And they, they need to be trained and they need to understand why they have a role to play and why it's it's really paramount for them to make cybersecurity uh, a, a part of the, the DNA of their company. So another aspect of this is the threats themselves and where they're originating from. So a lot of publicity has attached this idea that whether we may, may or not at some point end up with a, a cyber war. The flip side to that is that you also have incidents which are directed against an individual business, which can have ramifications and an impact which becomes systemic. Perhaps we focused more on the nation state actors attacking another nation state through the means of cyber in order to disable critical infrastructure and cause societal or economic breakdown. I don't know if we've paid enough attention, and I'd be very interested to hear your views on that, about what might be the impact of, say, a ransomware attack, which have been targeted specifically at a business in the private sector in order to extort a ransom, or indeed a public sector body. We've heard of universities, uh, healthcare organizations, and others paying ransoms too. But the intention of the bad actors there is not to create some form of interstate conflict, but the impact on the infrastructure of that country, which depends on that company for its operations, can be almost as great. You know, there are different types of, uh, of threat actors and, and different types of, of threats with different impacts. Uh, some are just looking for disruption. Some are looking for uh, a payout. And others are are really looking at um, what, what could be regarded as, as cyber warfare. So uh, disruption is where um, uh, we, you know, we, it's a denial of service attack and we bring you down and we publish some information that we should never have had access to. And we essentially impact, uh, have an impact on your reputation and your branding. Ransomware is really the payout. If you pay, like Colonial Pipeline did, you make a decision that you're advertising to the world that you will pay if there's a problem because you, you've done your analysis and you've actually worked out that it was more cost-effective for you um, to pay than to be offline and you're willing to accept the risk that you're going to be a, a target forever and also that you will get a reputation as somebody who pays. But that's something that strategically might actually make sense and financially might makes sense. Um, on the other hand, you've got the Irish government with the, the, the health service executive that has decided not to pay, which I think was the, the right decision to make, but it wasn't, a, it wasn't an easy decision 
because we, you know, um, nearly a year later, we, we're still recovering. Um, and so uh, when, when you decide not to pay, you send a strong message that there's no point in encrypting our data. We're not going to pay you. Uh, even if you p- publish it and so we're just not going to pay you, but we're, we're going to try and do it some other way, uh, which is commendable. But there's no point in doing that if you just restore your systems to where they were at the time of the attack, because then you're vulnerable again. And so when 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 you respond to a ransomware attack, you, you really need to, to think about the immediate requirements, which is to contain the attack and get it back up, back up and running, but also making sure that you improve your security and you have continuous um, compliance on it so that it's, it's, it's an, ongoing, an ongoing thing. Then comes cyber warfare, right? And, and this morning I was reading that um, some of the critical infrastructure in, in Ukraine is being hammered by cyber attacks, which allegedly come from Russia. Um, and so, you know, there's different levels. Um, and I, I do think that we can't just put them all in the same buckets, right? We probably need to have different response levels and, and, and different attention level for, for each category, if that makes sense. Who bears the responsibility for securing against these attacks? And, you know, we talked about the need for better communications, which is granted going to help ultimately is it the businesses who need to be protecting their infrastructure because that's in the interest of their shareholders or is there something beyond that that governments need to put in place because we all depend on what those businesses do the operators of what has been officially listed as as critical infrastructure um, specifically in in Europe, in the US, in Australia, um, they are they have to comply with um, very specific regulations around around the protection of of their systems. So uh, I'm sure you're familiar with the NIS directive. I'm sure that uh, you're familiar with NERC and FERC in in North America and and the equivalent in other countries. All of those have the same type of requirements. They're basically saying that uh, unless you have a business justification for it, you you need to completely segregate the operational parts of of the management of the systems that that that, that manage the, the critical infrastructure assets from the rest of your of your networks, and they provide like guidance and so on. But to go back to what I was saying earlier on, none of it is groundbreaking. Uh, compared to the 21 steps of, of, of SCADA protection, which which are more than 20 years old, so uh, on the other hand, you've got um, you've got pressure from uh, from gov- from the, the sorry from um, uh, the private sector to to have platforms where the private sector can actually learn from the threats um, from government, and one of the issues. That, that we are getting feedback on from our advisory board is that if you look at public-private partnerships where you'd have some sort of an intelligence service that is uh, collaborating with banks and hospitals and so on, um, there is a feeling, rightly or wrongly, that uh, the commercial sector shares a lot more than the, the, the government. Uh, always under the, the excuse that this is national security. But the, the challenge here is that if uh, a government has information about upcoming threats and we don't share that with the, the operators of critical infrastructure, then they're essentially not minimizing the risk surface. And so that's why we really need to have that, co- that, that cooperation. 
but again, that will actually not happen unless the board of directors within the commercial sector is made aware of the critical importance of cybersecurity and cyber accountability. And most times they, they either pay lip service to it or they go through what I call the, the five stages of cybersecurity grief. And the first one is denial. That's not our problem. We don't want to hear about it. We, we're building profits. Uh, then comes anger. Well, we've given you money. We, we appointed a chief risk officer. We, we have firewalls. We do pen tests. Go and talk to the technical team. Then comes the bargaining. Okay, we'll do some of it because we can see that other banks or other hospitals or other operators are being targeted. So we'll do an audit. And that's a good start, but it's not a silver bullet. Um, and then comes depression. We, we've just been hacked. Now we're in the, in the, in the public light uh, and everybody can see what the uh, limelight and everybody can see what, what we're doing or what we're not doing in that, in that particular instance. And then comes the, the acceptance and the acceptance is, they just have to follow the rules, and the rules are they're very, they're, they're reasonably well defined, especially under the NIS directive in, in in Europe. Are we likely to see more regulation? I think you're always likely to see more regulation. Um, you you you're probably gonna see, uh, if not more regulation, updated regulations. What I'd like to see personally is a bit more enforcement. It's all well and good to have a good regulation with good controls um, and so on, but you need enforcement. And in order to have enforcement, you need to make the board accountable. In order to make the board accountable, you need to make board education and cyber mandatory. And it's not mandatory everywhere in the world. Um, and whilst if you look at Ireland or the UK and you look at the Companies Act, there's an underlying kind of uh, message that you're responsible for the systems and for the data and so on. You're accountable as part of the board. It's not, it's not like a criminal offense. Uh, it's not completely linked to your role. I think that in order to be on the board of directors of a critical infrastructure op operator, it should be absolutely compulsory that you get training on cybersecurity and cyber accountability. The board of directors of a, a health system that's going to have access to my health records, um, you know, I want them to understand the, the value of the data that they have. Because unlike a credit card, if I lose my credit card, I'm going to get a replacement within two or three days, and I will most likely get the money back from my insurance. If my health data is out there, I only have one set of health data. So, I mean, you know, it, it, it's something that needs to be taken super seriously by, by, uh, by those operators in the health system, definitely. And I don't think there's enough um, emphasis on that. There's always emphasis on, on technical solutions that you need to have in place like firewalls, IDS, file integrity, uh, and so on, anti-ransomware. And that's great, but that's only one part of the problem. And, and, and also, you need to have a sponsor at board level for the, the cybersecurity strategy. And by sponsor, I'm not necessarily only saying somebody who has the ability to sign checks. I mean somebody who's going to drive the project and make sure that it's it's a continuous process. And I always say that security is a journey and not a, a destination. You get a few pit stops along the way, but you need to keep moving because the threat actors keep moving, the threats move, and as your company grows or shrinks, the risk exposure 
um, evolves. And so your, your, your controls and your safeguards need to evolve with it. And that's especially true of critical infrastructure. Who, though, should be responsible at the top in government for this? We've seen some of this responsibility being taken on by organizations like Department of Homeland Security, by the intelligence services, um, but it doesn't seem to be right at the center of government. It's, it's often a layer below. Is that right? Is that helpful? Or, or does there need to be somebody else who is effectively the CISO of the government or, or uh, a minister or, or something of that level in the European sense, uh, or a secretary of state, or secretary for cybersecurity in the American sense. In, in the US, for instance, there's a secretary of, of Homeland Security. Um, there's also other people that are involved in, in, in uh, critical infrastructure. So for instance, uh, there's the, uh, the, the, the CISA director, which um, uh, is also involved in that. And so, and they tend to work together. And in fact, they are going to work together more now that, that the, uh, the, the, cyber secure, the Cyber Safety Review Board has been built. Um, but I do think that the same way as you get uh, an information commissioner's office in, in the UK, for instance, you, you should have um, a critical infrastructure security office uh, somewhere who is ultimately responsible for managing critical infrastructure that's managed by the government and responsible for having that communication channel and that dialogue and those initiatives with the private sector. Um, and, and that's, you know, it depends on the country, depends on the size of the country, depends on the appetite, depends on uh, the type of critical infrastructure that they have. But we all have water, we all have hospitals, we all have bank uh, banks and financial services and so on. So, um, you know, that idea of having a, a security spokesperson at, at government is great. Uh, but I do think, though, that, that to be fair, you know, uh, dealing with a data breach and you know, from, an, an, um, from a, a UK GDPR or an EU GDPR perspective is one thing. Dealing with an attack on a water system is, is a slightly different thing. But again, all of those people need to be able to work together. Ultimately, I mean, the person at the top is 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 responsible, right? So, I mean, in, in this day and age, if you don't have a, a rolling cybersecurity strategy with a team that looks at critical infrastructure, data protection, compliance, uh, AI, ethics of AI, and so on, you're not doing your job correctly as a leader of a country. I mean, that's my humble opinion. Um, but I, I, I do think that it needs to be driven from the top. And to some extent, we have that in the UK with the NCSC, which is regarded as, as reasonably successful in so doing. So uh, that has certainly formed a bridge between government and the private sector. However, uh, there is the question of cost and businesses at the moment, or some businesses at least, feel that they're bearing the majority of the cost for cybersecurity. You can work around this by having more security built in by design. Uh, so it doesn't become a big additional cost to your operations. But at the moment, do you feel, again, talking to, to your advisory board members and, and your customer base and so forth, that actually businesses feel that they are having to defend cybersecurity in a way that they wouldn't, for example, have to pay to defend themselves in the physical space? You know, a business doesn't have to pay for a police patrol to go by its factories uh, at night, but they do have to pay to have a uh, security response team available to deal with any cyber incident. Some countries are putting um, 
hotlines in place where you can call and you can say, uh, I have an issue, I have a cyber issue, I don't know where to start. And the hotline is funded by the government or is funded by a, a public-private partnership. And and that's a that's a good thing. Um, I, I, I do think that we we have a problem right now because of the pandemic that we had. Um, during during COVID, the risk surface of government, uh, of, of private companies and, and private individuals completely shifted. Um, so you saw a lot of companies that would never have facilitated remote work suddenly opening uh, holes in their firewalls so that everybody can work from home uh, using their own devices because we didn't have the, the money, the budget or the time or they didn't even think that they, they should they should actually plan for this. Uh, on the other hand, you had businesses that were telling us there's no way we can digitize a product or a service within less than five years. And they managed to do it within three to four months because they had to stay alive. And they did that at the cost of uh, compliance and security. And so I find it a little bit rich sometimes that that to 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 hear government say, well, you really need to step up your game in, in cyber um, when companies are just recovering from the pandemic and they, you know, they just had to survive. They did what they had to do to survive. Now they need to take corrective action. That's true. But we, we also need to give them a, a helping hand to do that. You know, we, can, we can't just say you, you're right on your own. And by the way, if, if you don't do it, we're going to fine you. I think that security should be seen as a business enabler, um, and it should be it should be sold by all of the stakeholders as something that will add value. Um, and, and a very easy way to do that is to try and um, make your security projects and make your security investments assets of the company. The reason why it, it's good is because. If you uh, if you put that on your uh, financial statements, on your balance sheet, on your asset inventory, you can amortize the the the, the, the cost over a few years. Uh, you can put a value on a process, on an on, on on an information security process, an information security asset. And the minute it makes it to the financial statements, it's going to be seen by the board every time they meet. Um, so I think that government should encourage that. Uh, instead of saying you're on your own, and and by the way, we're here to to watch that you're doing it because that's not that that's not good enough. It, it's good enough to fend off the, the the few folks that 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 will always be delinquents on that front, but it's not actually creating the positive environment where security actually adds value for the nation. That comes back to what you were saying before. Then it's about a partnership, and the partnership goes beyond government and private sector. It should include academia that's building um, the, the, the next generation of workers and the next generation of, of, of cybersecurity experts. And it should filter down to everybody, uh, everybody uh, at home because we now each have our own critical infrastructure to protect, right? So um, if, we, if we do it, in partnership, if we all understand that that that, that concept, uh, if I protect my, my data at home, I'm very likely to protect it at work. If I protect it at work, I'm very likely to pay more attention to critical infrastructure and, and, and same in reverse. 
Um, so I do, I do think we, we all have a role to play, but it's a real partnership. And right now is a great opportunity uh, to, to review the impact uh, of critical infrastructure attacks, uh, specifically in the context of, of the current war. Um, I, I, you know, you, you look at pre-physical attacks uh, done from a cyber perspective, physical attack, more cyber attacks, attacks on critical infrastructure. I mean, that should be a wake-up call for any country that um, you really need to understand your own critical infrastructure. You need to have, you need to know the CEOs of the commercial operators. You need to have a dialogue with them and it needs to be done in a, in a collaborative manner, not in a, I'll tell you what to do because that, that's, that's just not really uh, helpful. You know, it, it, it doesn't achieve as much as, as a true partnership. Maja Gorge on how government, the private sector and academia need to build a partnership to protect critical infrastructure. That though is all for this episode of Security Insights. We'll be back in two weeks' time and I hope you can join us then. Meanwhile, you can catch up on past programmes on our website, securityinsights.co.uk and of course on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Amazon and Spotify. Thank you for listening.